Hello and welcome to the London School of Theology podcast. You are listening to our weekly chapel service. In this week's episode, we have a guest speaker. London School of Theology. Forming disciples. Resourcing churches. Impacting society. Well, good morning. Um, As said, my name's Christine and I'm a local church leader. I think the person I have spent the most time in this building with is probably Keith, your wonderful librarian. Um, I love your library. It is extensive and it is amazing, though I do not love the chairs. (laughs) I have to admit. So, (laughs) I'm so glad you're with me, Francis. So, I understand that in chapel this term, you have been developing and looking at the theme, developing godly character and values, actively becoming Christ-like. So, this morning, let's spend some time focusing on Jesus. I thought this was obvious when I spoke to Alison earlier. I said, oh, great, okay, well, I wonder what other preachers have brought you about Jesus. You know, I bet it's all been from the Gospels. She's like, no. I went, oh, okay, well, I'm bringing you a simple message this morning. We are just going to gaze at Christ, at who he is, what he does, and what he says. And so for this morning, I have chosen one of my favorite Jesus stories. And it's a real joy to be able to share with you the Jesus that I have encountered in this story. So at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. So here we find Jesus in the temple courts. This is a public, open space accessible to both men and women. And we find Jesus teaching surrounded by people, all the people. Now, I love using my imagination when I read scripture. So if you find it helpful, can I invite you to picture the scene? Imagine yourself into the crowd gathered to hear the teacher and now into this public teaching space. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees bring in a woman caught in adultery and they make her stand before the group. Imagine this woman caught in the act of adultery. I wonder how she would have looked. What would she have been wearing or not wearing? What would she have smelt like? And how would she have felt standing before the group? What strikes me about the teachers of the law and the Pharisees is that they don't care. They don't care at all about how she is looking or how she is feeling. They are publicly humiliating and shaming her, but that fact does not seem to enter their mind. She is simply a means to an end for them to achieve their goal, which is to trap Jesus in order to have a basis for accusing him. I just want to pause for a minute, and it might seem obvious, but I just want to say Humiliating and shaming others is never Christ-like. Using people as a means to serve our own ends is never Christ-like. 
And so the teachers and the Pharisees turn to Jesus and they say, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? All credit to the Pharisees. I mean, this is a pretty good trap. They've presented Jesus with an either or situation. Either Jesus agrees with the law of Moses and stones her, or Jesus disagrees with the law of Moses and does not stone her. Either option is problematic for who Jesus is and what he is here to do. And as so often happens, when Jesus is confronted with questions that are devised to trap him, he refuses to play the game. You see, Jesus never allows himself to be backed into a corner or put in a box, or cajoled into doing something that is outside of his character and his purpose. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he ignores the question entirely. Instead, Jesus bends down and starts to write on the ground with his finger. Now, this is totally out of left field for the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and I I dare say the crowd. No one would have expected this as Jesus' response. No one would have expected Jesus to choose silence and doodling as the response to the trap that has been presented to him. And it makes me think, how quick am I to answer people's questions? How quick am I to try and explain what I know? How quickly do I step into teacher mode when actually the answer to their question is not what somebody needs? Maybe because the question isn't coming from a place of curiosity, but rather from a place of hurt or pain or offence. And what they really need is not their question answered, but for someone just to see and acknowledge their pain. What I love about Jesus is that he is always seeing and responding to the heart. That's why he ignores so many questions in the Gospels. Because he's always hearing the real questions beneath the questions. Jesus is always responding to the hurt or the pain or the fear or the offense or the pride or the arrogance or the desperation that dwells beneath the surface. But the Pharisees aren't content with Jesus' non-response, so they push him and they keep on questioning him. They keep on demanding a response until finally Jesus stands up and he says to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stoops down and he writes on the ground. The long-awaited response is a statement intended directly for their hearts. Jesus says to them, go on then. If you're righteous, if you're not guilty, if you're without sin, go on then, throw a stone. 
Now, what Jesus does here is genius. I love Jesus. He's so, so clever. Jesus takes all that they have exposed about this woman and he uses it to expose them. Jesus takes the filth they have revealed about her and he lets it speak to them about the filth that lurks within their own hearts. Jesus takes the judgment they cast on her and he invites them to use the same judgment on themselves. And what I love about Jesus in this story is not just what he says, it's what he does. You see, all of this takes place with Jesus stooped over and writing on the ground. Jesus isn't looking at anyone. He isn't facing anyone or squaring up to them. He isn't looking them in the eye. He isn't waiting, arms crossed, for their response. He's stooped over, writing on the ground, completely occupied with something else. And I think Jesus' action here communicates some incredible truths. Firstly, by his silence, Jesus affirms their free will. Jesus offers the Pharisees and the teachers of the law time and space to examine their hearts, to reflect, and to decide for themselves their next course of action. By not even looking at them, he affirms each person's freedom to pick up a stone and hurtle at this woman. Or not. Humanity has been given free will from the very beginning, and Jesus did not come to dishonour or remove that. Secondly, by his silence, Jesus refuses to accuse them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees are full of accusation. They find, they out, and they accuse this woman, all in an attempt to trap and accuse Jesus. They're riddled with accusation. They're dominated by it. But Jesus is different. Jesus holds silence because he refuses to accuse anyone. See, the voice of the accuser is never Jesus. The voice of the accuser is always the enemy. Thirdly, by his silence, Jesus trusts them. Now, this might be the hardest one to get our head around, but I believe it to be true. Jesus does not just give us free will to sin. He doesn't just refuse to accuse us when we sin, but he also trusts us not to sin. Jesus gives us free will to sin. He refuses to accuse us when we sin, whilst also trusting us not to sin. And as he stoops down to write on the ground, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you the time and space you need to think about what you're doing and to examine your hearts. But as you stand here in judgment of this woman, I refuse to accuse you of all you know to be true about yourself. I trust you. 
as you decide on your next course of action. I trust you. At those, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. I imagine the crowd has dissipated as well. So all we now have is Jesus and the woman. Let me ask you, if all her accusers were gone, why did she stay? Why did she stay? After she saw the last of them leaving, why didn't she just quietly slip away? I mean, Jesus was hunched over looking at the ground. He wouldn't have even noticed if she'd left. But she doesn't leave. She stays. Why? See, up until this point, this whole scene has been going on around her. From the moment she's caught, to her being dragged into the temple courts, to her being made to stand before a crowd of people, including a rabbi, to hear, hearing the accusations made against her, to the conversation about the law going on over her, to the strange actions of the rabbi in front of her, to the incredible defence he makes for her, to the silencing of the crowd all around her, to the people leaving one by one until she is left. Through all this, no one has even spoken to her. No one has engaged with her directly. All her accusers have left, and here she stands whilst the rabbi is still writing on the ground. So why does she stay? I think it's because Jesus has just saved her life. I think her staying is an act of faith that says, I want to believe in you. I want to know you. And I want to know what you say about me. And so she waits. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus looks at this woman and he says directly to her, I do not condemn you. Leave your life of sin. And what I find so fascinating and so beautiful about this story is that what Jesus offers this woman and what he offers her accusers is the same thing. What Jesus says through his silence and his actions to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, he articulates in words to the woman. He condemns neither of them. He refuses to accuse and condemn the Pharisees and he refuses to accuse and condemn the woman. And just as he trusts the Pharisees to walk away and choose not to sin, so he offers this woman the same trust and the same freedom to walk away and choose not to sin. And as we have taken a moment to look at Jesus in this story, 
What I'm wondering this morning is, have you ever stood in her shoes? Have you ever felt like what it is to stand in this woman's shoes? Have you ever stood before Jesus caught? I know I have stood before him guilty. I know that he knows what I've done. I've stood before him feeling totally exposed and totally filthy. I've stood before him utterly ashamed because of my sin, feeling the deep conviction to the point that my heart has cried, truly cried, don't cast me away from your presence, don't take your Holy Spirit from him, because I think he might. Because I feel so defiled and so disgusting that I think that even Jesus couldn't possibly want to be around me. That he must hate me. And there's no way that he could accept me or forgive me. And the temptation is to simply slip away before Jesus notices. But this woman inspires me to stand with outrageous courage and to stand with outrageous vulnerability and wait for Jesus to look at me and speak. And I want to know this morning, have you heard him? Have you heard the voice of Jesus say, I refuse to accuse you. I do not condemn you. Have you stood before him totally caught, totally exposed, carrying the filth of your sin and heard those words, I do not condemn you? Have you heard him? Because you know what happens when we hear these words, really hear these words, and they take root in us and we believe them. They don't just stay as words we hear. They become words we can speak. And we can say, Jesus does not condemn me. And we can say, therefore, I'm not going to condemn myself. And we can say, therefore, I'm not going to condemn you. And Jesus also says, go now and leave your life of sin. Now, please do not be tempted to hear this as a condition or an accusation. Jesus is not saying, I don't condemn you, so you owe me. Jesus is not saying, I don't condemn you, so you better not sin again. What Jesus is saying is, I have set you free from the consequence and punishment of this sin. You are free to leave it. You are free to walk away from it. You don't have to go back there. You don't have to live like that anymore. But you know, and I know, that some behaviours and some thought patterns are really hard to leave. They're really hard to let go of. But the greatest motivation 
for holiness that I have ever experienced is when Jesus simply looks at me and says, I trust you. I have given you free will to sin. I don't condemn you when you sin. I trust you not to sin. And so what happens when we fail? What happens when in a month, a week, a day, we're back standing in front of Jesus confessing the same sin again? What then? Well, then Jesus looks at us and he says, I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin again and again and again, ten times a day. Jesus' words to us remain, I don't condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. I trust you. I don't condemn you. I trust you. I don't condemn you. I trust you. I would love to give you an opportunity to respond to what you feel God has been speaking to you this morning. But during the worship, and thank you so much, guys, for the worship, I really felt that I would love to pray for you if this story is something really personal to you. I have a sense that maybe you're here today and actually the woman caught in adultery is a difficult story for you because someone, maybe it was your mum, maybe it was your dad, but someone in your family, they did this, they did this, and it really, really hurt and it really, really ruined your life. And I would love the opportunity to pray with you if you're saying, do you know what? I want her to be humiliated and I want her to be shamed. I don't want her to be set free. I want her to be condemned. I'd love to pray for you that you could receive Jesus' sight on this, that you could receive his forgiveness and offer his forgiveness, that those words could become your words. I don't condemn you. And trust God to heal your pain and your brokenness but for you to be set free, for you to be set free from this, for you to be set free because you don't have to do that too, you don't have to copy that, you don't have to become like that. And maybe there's a fear in you that that's what's going to happen. So I would love to be able to do that if you would like to. Thank you for listening to the London School of Theology podcast. To find out more about LST and our courses, please visit our website.